0: reflect our feelings a lot of times and I like that about that is it takes the feelings that we naturally are feeling and redirects them to God but there's an interesting thing about Psalm 50 it's a different kind of psalm there are a few of these in the psalm psalms but um, it's a different kind of psalm in that it's actually intended to be um, a declarative or a, a teaching psalm it's actually teaching us something it's not just expressing an emotion of a psalmist but it's actually teaching us a little bit about something about uh, God. And specifically, it's telling us what God really wants from us. And I want to just take a few minutes and look at this psalm that talks about the worship that God wants from his people. So we're going to look at that tonight, begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into this together. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll give me the words to speak to the people. I pray that they'll hear what I'm saying. But I pray more important than that, that they will... Actually, much more important than that, that they'll hear what you want from them. I pray that you will turn our hearts from people who are just doing what we do because we have to, doing what we do because we think if we do it, that we'll somehow make you happy. But instead, God, help us to be the kind of people who are operating from an overflow of love and joy, voluntary desire for you, God. Please make us those people, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Psalm 50, the first six verses are really saying, everybody better get ready. Get ready. The God is going to call the world into an account. You kind of see this in verse 3 where he says, Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He says it's, it's, there's, a, there's, an, there's going to be a, an accounting one day. We've read a little bit about this over in First Peter where he says that there's going to come a time where God is going to judge the quick and the dead. And I want to go ahead and tell you right now, this is not my message, but it is an important one to hear, is that the Lord will soon return, and you better get ready. You had better choose this day whom you will serve. He will call you to an account. There will come a day, whether you believe him or not now, he will stand, you will stand before him, and he will essentially say, where do you stand? And if you do not make that decision today, it will be clear where you stand in opposition to him. So there will come a day that he will call the whole world to an account. But while we better be ready for it as a whole, as a, as a globe, if you will, judgment begins at the house of the Lord. If you look with me in verse 7, he turns his attention specifically to and we know this is written to Israel, but I think we can uh, by by extension because we are in Christ, we are part of Israel in this way as as part of the people of God. We don't replace Israel by no means, but we are part of God's people in this way. So I think we can put ourselves here when he says, "Hear, O my people, and I will speak." O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. So now he's turning his attention specifically, not just to the whole world, but to talk to his people specifically. Now, later on, which we won't take a a lot of time to look at, but starting in verse 16, you'll see he's talking to the wicked as well, he says in verse 16, but unto the wicked God saith, and then he goes on to talk to them. He tells them, the wicked, listen, right now, if you go to look at verse 21, he says, these things, and he's talking about all the sin that they've done, these things hast thou done, and I kept silence. And this is, I think, the way the world looks at what God has said. He's not doing anything about their sin right now. They feel like everything's okay. And he says, yeah, you've been, you've, I've been silent. He says, thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. You thought I was okay with what you were doing, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. He says, there will come an accounting for you wicked one day. So I'm simply trying to tell you that this psalm is about God coming to give the world an account. Yes, he will judge the wicked, but we're going to look back at verse 7 where he's talking to his people. He's talking to his people. And I want you to notice what he says to his people. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. He says, I'm not upset about your sacrifices. Not at all. I'm not upset what you've done there. And there seems to be an indication that They were doing the right things. By the way, the sacrifices that they were were doing weren't just simply things that they did because they decided to do them. God had given them directions on what to do. If you go back to the the book of Leviticus, you will see some specific orders on what kinds of things for what reasons, and there were uh, about five five major sacrifices that they were supposed to give, and they, they had reasons behind each one of them. One of them, of course, was a burnt offering, which is what he's talking about here. There were sin offerings and things like that. And he says, I'm not upset with you about the offerings you've given. You're fine. In fact, he even goes on to say in verse 9, I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds." Well, he says, I don't need your stuff. I don't need your bulls and goats. I don't need you. And by the way, that's what they would have put on these altars, and they would have sacrificed. I don't need that. He says, the reason I don't need, look what he says in verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. He says, I don't need your sacrifices. Yes, I understand I ask you to do this, but I'm not doing it because I need it. I'm asking you to do it for yourself. I'm asking you to do it to, as, as, a, as an indication of what, that Christ would come. I'm asking you to do this for that ultimate sacrifice that would come. But, but I'm not doing this because I want this. He goes on to say in verse 12, if I were hungry... I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. He says, I've got everything at my disposal. I don't need your sacrifices. He's not hungry. He's not thirsty. He even goes on to say in the next verse, he says, Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? He says, I don't need that. Why am I going to eat your stuff? I've got better stuff available. I'm God. I can create anything I want. Why do I need your sacrifices? As a side note, I think sometimes we can get a little high on our own stuff here when we start looking at what we're bringing to God and thinking, oh, he's happy with what we're doing. No, no, God doesn't need your stuff. He's not looking for your sacrifice. He says, I don't need it. I wouldn't, if, 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 I, if I was hungry, he doesn't get hungry by the way, but if I was, I wouldn't ask you for it, he says. I'll get it myself. What he's upset about is not the sacrifices they're bringing. He's upset about what they're not giving to God. Look at what he says in verse 14. Here's what I want you to bring. He says, offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the most high. He's asking for, these are, when you read it here, you may not necessarily see this, but I want to tell you right quick and I'll explain. He's actually asking for two specific sacrifices that apparently they weren't giving. He's asking first for a thanksgiving offering. That's what he says there in verse 14. Offer unto God thanksgiving. It's a thanksgiving offering. It's a specific kind of offering. And pay thy vows. It's a vow offering, a votive offering. It's a specific kind of offering again. What they were bringing to God essentially were, I'm, I'm summarizing this for the sake of time, but please understand, and you can study this out in the book of Leviticus for yourself if you'd like to, but do understand what they were bringing to God was the sacrifices that were required there were certain sacrifices that Israel had to bring. Each family, each person had to bring on a regular basis, and they were bringing those. Apparently, they were bringing them like clockwork, and they felt pretty good about themselves. But there were two sacrifices that were voluntary sacrifices. There's the thanksgiving offering. The thanksgiving offering was something good happened to you, and you were thankful for God, thankful to God for it. Nobody said you had to do it, but you went to God and gave an offering So thank you, God, for my this gift, this thing that you did for me. The vow offering or the votive offering was an offering that they would bring because I've just made a promise to God and I'm going to deliver on the promise that I made. So I'm making, sort of making a marker. This is what I'm doing for God. I'm making a vow to him right now and I'm going to fulfill that vow. In both cases, what they were offering to God in those particular uh, offerings were voluntary. What God is really wanting from these people It's not the required, the perfunctory, the rote rituals. I got to do it. Mama said, people going to talk. The priest is going to get mad. Somebody's going to get upset if I don't do these things. No, no, that's not what he wants. He doesn't want perfunctory performance. He doesn't want you to do it because you have to. He's wanting them to do voluntary worship from a heart of real love and devotion. That's what he's offering or asking for here. And he says, if you go back to verse 14, he says, I want you to offer these things. And then verse 15, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. He's essentially connecting these two things together. You're going to be the kind of people, I want you to be the kind of people who worship me from a heart of love and devotion because you love me, because you want to. And he says, those kind of people, you call on me, I'll save you, I'll help you. By the way, I want to make sure I'm being real clear here. When I say save or when it says save or salvation here, it's not talking about eternal salvation. We understand that is in the blood of Jesus Christ, but it's talking about being saved or rescued from the circumstances. That's what he has in mind here. He says, you want, you want to be delivered from your trouble? Well, then you're going to, call, you're going to, give, you're going to give me a, a, an attitude of honor and praise and worship. Let me put it to you another way. It's not that God is putting His rescue in. Condi- he's not putting conditions on His rescue. He's not essentially saying, "I'll only help you if you sacrifice these things to me." That's not what He's saying. He is essentially saying, "I'm because pro- you know how God is. He's going to do some wonderful things. He does amazing things." Here, just a small prediction here. At some point, I don't know when. This is where I'm not going to get too dogmatic. But at some point in the future, this COVID virus is going to be tamped down figured out and solved again i hope it's sooner rather than later and you know what us believers we're going to say thank the lord because we've been praying that god would resolve that we'll say thank you jesus but did you know that there are going to be unbelievers who would never even name the name of god who would also benefit by him taking care of this virus even that governor up in new york who said that it wasn't god that turned back uh, the 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 covid deaths he'll actually benefit from god's handiwork what I'm trying to get you to see is that when God does his work, there's going to be people who are going to recognize, they're going to appreciate that God did this, and there's going to be that those that didn't. And he is simply saying, I'm going to rescue you, but I want you to be the kind of people who love me and appreciate me and just and come from a heart of devotion so that when I rescue you, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to actually say, yes, that was our God that did that. Like I said, he, he will still work but will we enjoy and rescue it? So we go back to this passage, and I want you to notice in verse 14 and 15, he wants us to serve him from a heart of devotion because when we serve him from a heart of devotion, we do it because it's voluntary, not because it's required. I think we get a whole lot more out of it. It says a whole lot more about who we are when that happens. So what does God want from you right now? Let's, Let's try to apply this a little bit. Well, can I tell you what God doesn't want from you right now? And I bet you ain't heard too many preachers say this. He doesn't want you attending a church service right now. You know, over in Hebrews 10, 25, we have a verse that says that we ought not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now, to be fair to y'all, it's on me as your pastor, because I have, with the deacons consenting to this, we have chosen to not have open or public services at this moment. But y'all can't attend. You're not forsaking anything because there's no service to attend. I guess you could argue maybe forsaking the coming together on Facebook. It might be something, I suppose. But God is not looking for you to attend a church service right now. I do hope we'll gather very soon. By the way, I do hope that'll happen very soon. But did you know even when we're able to gather together that that's not for God? That's for y'all. That's for us to worship him, yes, But it ultimately is a sacrifice of praise, I suppose. But ultimately, it is something that we get something out of. His goal is not to see us sitting in church pews. That's not God's goal. Is it a good thing? Of course it is. God's not looking for you to give money that you don't have. Some of these faith preacher type, uh, what do they call them, Uh, prosperity gospel kind of preachers, they want you to sow a seed and do all this kind of stuff. Well, yeah, you ought to be faithful with what God gives you and you ought to give back when God gives it to you, absolutely. But I know that there are some people in our congregation even who are not even able to work right now, maybe because of health reasons or because they've been laid off or any number of reasons and you're not having any income come in. I'll just be honest with you. I don't know where you're going to be able to give that from. If somebody's convincing you to give, I think they're lying to you. That's not what the Lord's wanting to do. And by the way, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, if you say, well, if I don't give, that church is going to run into the ground. Well, if that's the truth of it, this is not the church of Jesus Christ. God will provide. Remember these passages? Does God need your money? If God needs... (laughs) Listen to me, listen to me. The federal government right now is printing money and sending it to y'all that it don't even have. And if the federal government can do that, and it don't even own the money, what in the world do you think God, who invented gold, by the way, who invented diamonds, he created them with his words, don't you think he can provide for this church if that's what he wants to happen? Absolutely, you can guarantee that. You can take it to the bank. God doesn't need our money. And more to the point, if I can just be very pointed with some of y'all that maybe think this and think wrongly, It is not even going to make a hinge on the pearly gates squeak, much less go swing wide. It will not open the gates of heaven for you. It will not at all. That's not what the Lord wants. He doesn't need your money. He's not asking you to put yourself in harm's way. Yes, we are told to share the gospel. We're supposed to do that. The Bible, I believe, the, the right, in, right interpretation of those passages over the Great Commission, Matthew 28, we're supposed to go and tell all people as we go, as we're going through our daily life, we ought to be sharing the gospel, living the gospel, showing the gospel, and speaking the gospel. Absolutely. But right now, our movement's a little bit limited. It really is. There's only so many places we can go. But you know who's not limited? is God. God's not limited and I'm trying to tell you this to say God's not necessarily looking for you to go on some some sort of COVID ward and go preach the gospel to everybody so you can go and get sick. That's not what he's asking for because he'll work where he needs to work if you'll be faithful where you are. So the point is he's not asking us to do some big sacrifice and he's definitely not asking us to add anything to our salvation. Do you know what God is satisfied with? The blood of Jesus Christ. By the way, these sacrifices, these burnt offerings, and these sin offerings that they were referring to, those things, it wasn't the bulls and the goats that satisfied God ever. The blood of bulls and goats didn't do a thing for God. The thing that satisfied the Father was when his only begotten Son hung on an old rugged cross and his blood was shed and he, the Father, was able to punish sin in his Son's body when he was able to break his body and to shed his blood for our sins that satisfied the father so these bulls and goats and other things that they're bringing to him god's up in heaven saying if you think that's what i'm looking for you're missing the boat i'm not looking for that those are merely outward expressions of something but that's not what i'm looking for in the same way it is nothing you can do to add to what god's already done if you're saved if you put your faith in jesus christ You're saved, friend. You're saved. Now, if you're not, you must nearly call upon the name of the Lord, and he will save you. Put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more that you can do. But you know what God wants? Again, not to save you because he's satisfied with Jesus. He will never be satisfied with your filthy rags of righteousness. He's satisfied with Jesus. But if you're in Christ, if you're saved tonight, what do you know what he wants from you? He wants voluntary worship from a pure heart from you. It's not what you have, or rather, it's not what you have to do. It's not what you must do. It's not even what other people can see you do. I think sometimes we get that mixed up. I would even argue, talking about coming to church, when we get to open these doors, I think there's some folks, as it has been in the past, who will come into the church door and we're gonna say, Well, those are good people. They come to church every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. Good people. But they have darkness in their heart that nobody else can see. They have sin in their heart. Their motives are wrong. And God sees right through that. He knows. He knows. Whereas there are some of y'all who are not able to get out as much as you used to. I think about some of our our folks who are, yeah, they might come on a Sunday morning because it's a nice clear day, but they're just not able to drive in the night and things like that, who might have in their motives, in their heart, be more Godward than the rest of us. And it's not about showing up in the church house. It's about worshiping God with a pure, voluntary heart. It's what you choose to do, what you want to do. Now the, way, the way that um, Samuel said this to Saul in 1 Samuel 15, Hath God as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken better than the fat of rams. It is better to do what you know pleases God. Do what you know pleases Him from a heart of rejoicing. He says, then... That's when you're going to get delivered by me, and you're going to recognize it, and you're going to enjoy it. Why aren't we doing that? I'm going to give you three reasons why. I think some of us have a legalistic spirit. We only do what we're supposed to do, what we have to do. We only do that because we're relying, no longer are we relying on the finished blood of Jesus on the cross. We're relying on our outward religion. We need somebody else to tell us what to do, how to act. We need a set of external standards to live up to when, in fact, God said, I've already met the standard. This is not about the standard. Jesus has already done that 2,000 years ago. I want you now to serve me because you like me, because you love me, because you want to do that. I think some of us are legalistic in our spirit. I think some of us aren't doing it because we are unfaithful in our actions. Verses 16 and 20, 16 to 22, I believe, are really directed towards you that are unfaithful in your actions. You say you love God, but it talks about there in, in verses 16, 17, 18. You say you love God, but you disobey Him. You lie you steal you're sexually promiscuous you're too focused on what makes you happy what makes you feel good you're not willing because you love god enough to make the sacrifices to 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 deny the flesh to deny yourself any kind of sensual lustful pleasures because you want what you want but yeah you kind of like god too you're wanting God's blessings all the while you're flirting with the world. And I think that's the kind of person where, yeah, you'll bring the bull to the temple because that's what you got to do. Yeah, you'll do what is required. You'll do what, when people can look at you, you'll say, yeah, I'll make sure that, that I'm living up the standard. I'll keep up my appearances. But in your heart of hearts, it's unfaithful unfaithful to god it's wicked if i can just put the bible word on it it's wickedness and really what that boils down to because i can't really see your heart i can simply see your actions when that goes on i can say it's unfaithful actions but the third reason many times this is the real reason it comes down to an unregenerate heart a heart that is not changed by the gospel thinking that god somehow owes you thinking somehow what you do is enough Peter tells us we were not redeemed by corruptible things as silver and gold. Can I just go ahead and tell some of y'all that think that if you give enough money that everything's going to be okay, I want you to know that the Lord does not need your money. In fact, you would be better off just to hang on to it yourself and do whatever you want to with it than to try to give it to a missionary, to give it to a church, give it to somebody in need. You might as well just hang on to it if you think that is going to earn your way to heaven. The fact of the matter is it is not the silver and gold. It is the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb was without blemish and without spot. That is how you were redeemed, if you were redeemed. So what are we going to do? What do we need to do? We're in a crisis right now as a nation. What are we going to do? How are we going to worship God in a crisis? I think there's a little bit of a clue here in this passage, and I want to take just a few minutes before I close to give you that. There's two things that he's asking for. Remember, Thanksgiving offering and a vow offering or a votive or a vow offering. Thanksgiving offering. You know what that was, remember? There was something God had blessed you with, and because he blessed you with that, you voluntarily went and gave a sacrifice for that. How has God blessed you specifically, and how can you thank him for it? I want you to just think about your circumstances right now. I'm going to give you some examples just to get your mind, just to, as you will, idea starters. I hopefully I don't have to give you too many. Maybe the Lord's already bringing stuff to your mind. But there are some of you that, In spite of the economic difficulties right now, you are absolutely financially able. The Lord has provided for you more abundantly than you could ever ask or think. Well, maybe that Thanksgiving offering might need to be, you might want to give a little bit of that away. There might be somebody in need. Maybe you say, you know, I know the church is not having as much intake as as it usually is. Maybe I can give a little bit more because the Lord's provided for me. Maybe that's what you need to do. Right now, there's a lot of people who are either out of work or working from home or their schedules are different, and because of that, you might actually have a little bit of extra time. You might actually have a little extra time on your hand. Now, I will say, not, not, there's some people that might actually, I'm, I put myself in this category, I, I was thinking I was going to have extra time, but for some reason, it seems like my time just gets eaten up more and more, but, but I admit to you, some people actually do have a little extra time right now. You know what you might want to do in that offer? And say, Lord, thank you for this extra time. I'm going to do something for somebody else. Maybe you'd like to cook. Maybe you want to pick up the phone. Whatever it is you do, I, each of us have our own skills and abilities. Do what you do to help other people. Uh, maybe, maybe, Maybe some of you, because you're a little bit lazy, you might want to take this extra time to take care of the things God's given you. That might be what you need to do. Say, Lord, thank you for giving me all this stuff, and you've also given me time on top of it. I'm going to actually take care of what you've given me. I know right now we're all getting to spend, whether we like it or not, a little more time with our families. You know what one sacrifice of Thanksgiving might actually be? And this one hurts my feelings, I'll have to admit to you, because sometimes sometimes you get older children in the house and they can kind of get on your nerves a little bit. I'm just honest about it. But I've been convicted that by Thanksgiving appraises, I just need to enjoy the fact that I'm sitting there in the house with them people that God has blessed me with, love them a little bit more, get to know them a little bit more, that, that actually might be the fact, and, and, and by the way, be purposeful about it, I think sometimes we do, we sort of stumble across some of these things, but what I'm trying to say is, this is a Thanksgiving offering, where you're saying, God, thank you for my family, so I'm going to spend the next hour, the next two hours, the next half a day, and I'm just going to do what I can to enjoy this family that you've given to me i'm going to do what i can to get to know them a little bit better i'm going to do what i can to help them to love them to serve them a little bit more some of y'all most of y'all i haven't seen all of you but every time i see most of us we're we're doing okay in the eating category lord's giving you plenty to eat won't you enjoy your food absolutely but why don't you share it a little bit because there are some people in your i bet in your own neighborhood who don't have that kind of a benefit. Maybe that's something you need to figure out how to do. That's how you say, Lord, thank you for this food that you have provided for me, uh, this, this, this meat I've got in my freezer, this whatever it I've got. I'm going to share that with somebody. Why don't you do that? That's what a Thanksgiving offering really looks like, I think, in a, in a crisis time right now. Thank the Lord for what you got and then do something about it. What are you going to do? And again, that's not a comprehensive list. I sure hope there's a thing or two rolling through your mind that God has blessed you with and you're going to, make, you're going to say, now, Lord, I heard you. I heard that this is a blessing. I see it and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to sacrifice in some way. It's back to you. Thank you, Lord, for that blessing. There's also the vow offering. What promises have you made to the Lord? What promises have you made? I'm not talking about in the last few days. Maybe you have done that, but I'm talking about throughout your life. One promise I think many of us make, especially those that sit sit in uh, these chairs, that darken these doors on a regular basis, you've promised, you said you believe the Word of God. May I ask you, when was the last time that you spent more than a minute or two, more than just a service when somebody said, open up your Bible, but you actually spent some time reading God's Word? if the answer to that question is it's been a while certainly take take the conviction and move on but don't stop there take that as a vow that you made you made a vow to god that you believe his word follow through on that vow pay your vow open his word read it apply it to your heart some of you believe in prayer you say i believe in prayer I mean, I've seen some of y'all have the signs. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, they got that there. that means, that means you you know that God answers prayer. You're thankful to Him. You 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 believe in prayer. Well, when was the last time? In the same way, when's the last time that you spent a minute? You shut everything else down and shut it all off. Put your phone off to the side. You you, you sat down for a minute and you said, Lord, I'm just going to talk to you. Whether it's walking down the walking down in your your neighborhood or down a trail in the woods or sitting on your back porch or up in your in your bedroom wherever it is just sitting there and talking to the lord and it's going to talk to him and it could be anything from asking him for things to complaining to him or whatever it is you need to talk to him about but when was the last time you actually did that i think many of us are guilty of saying yeah i believe in the power of prayer maybe even saying to people i'll pray for you about that but never opening up our mouths and saying god i need to talk to you we need to pay the vows. And by the way, again, I, I want to take you back to where you are. Many of you are sitting at home. We are no, on a Wednesday night. Some of y'all would be sticking around here as we often do and talking and all that sort of thing. That's not happening tonight because we're all at home. So as soon as this live stream is over, why don't you stop and talk to the Lord for a minute? Why don't you stop, maybe read this passage in Psalm 50. I'm just trying to get you to see, you've got opportunity. Why don't you pay the vow that that you promised to God? You said you trust in God. This is one where I have to admit my own guilt. I say I trust in God. But Lord, I sure don't have the most optimistic of outlooks most of the time, especially right now. Man, I could be as negative as the next person, if not more so. This is a time where if you say you trust in God, why don't we actually trust in God? Follow through on that and say, you know what, Lord? It might get darker before it gets lighter, but I know that one day you're going to make it as light as it needs to be. You're going to fix this. I know you will. My concern is that many of us, our worship is in the external. And right now, that's getting a a major hit. Do you know why? Y'all can't come to church. (laughs) You can't let anybody see you put them big old bills in the offering plate. Y'all can't come with your big old knotted ties. You you can't come and and, and let your neighbors see you pulling out of the driveway. You, You can't do all those external things. You can't leave the track on the table at the restaurant. You can't do all those things. If that's what your worship to God is made up of, unfortunately, you're out of luck. But what we do have is an opportunity to get to the core of what our worship ought to be. And that is responding with our hearts to a God who's loved us, who's given us his grace, giving him an th- uh, a offering, a sacrifice, a thanksgiving, giving, giving him an offering of our vows, fulfilling our vows to him. Let's respond to his blessings. Let's live out what we've been singing and talking about all these years. Let's actually do it now. I'm done, but I I got this thought on my mind. I'm not sure how the best way to say it, but if we come out of this stay-at-home order and we get back to eating out at restaurants and coming back to church, doing all the going to the office or the factory floor, wherever you're going to work, and all those things, and your heart, your spirit is not substantively changed if your attitude is not affected, if you basically, whether it's May the 15th or June the 15th or August the 15th or Lord hope not September the 15th, whatever it is, if that date that we are all back, sort of back to normal-ish and you're no different than when this whole thing started, not reading your Bible, not spending time in prayer, not truly calling out to the Lord out of a heart that's overflowing with love for Him. That's a shame. You know what, the God, what God has given to you? I know, I know this is a terrible situation. I'm not wishing it on anybody. But you know what God's given to us? He's given us a real opportunity to get down to the basics. Let's get back to it. Let's do what He's called us to do. Let's be the people who love Him. And let's act like it. Unfortunately, right now, I was just reading or just hearing that apparently Americans are, we're spending most of our time on playing video games, watching pornography, and eating. That's what we're spending our times on. Ain't that something? The greatest civilization in the world, and we're eating and watching pornography and playing video games. Wonderful, isn't it? You know what God's given us? An opportunity to shut all that off, and listen to what he said and return thanks to him. Let's do this. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ and the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilly, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.